All right. Good morning. How's it going? Yeah, I feel that. I'm good. Haven't had food yet, but thankfully coffee is here. So supplement with that. Not at the moment. Nah, I'm fine. But thanks. Sound like sound like a diva. I need my coffee before I begin. All right. So today we're in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. And I think Paul did last week. And so he covered, uh, I'm guessing everything before that. So one through 16, or sorry, one through 11. And uh, we last read Hebrews, he talked about, I don't know if he touched on this, but from what I read, there's the discipline that is required of every believer um, that is in Christ. And chapter 12 describes this discipline as abandoning our sin that clings so closely to us and weighs down on us spiritually, uh, that opposes the life that the gospel calls us to. And then uh, let us not forget, as we continue this chapter, that the preacher keeps using the same kind of language uh, of that of like a race. So he talked about like being weighed down. You're going to see more of that um, as we read. And on this race, uh, the end of the race, you get the treasure, which is God. And um, Jesus is who we're running to. <laughs> and that's where we get that restored relationship between uh, God and man as we have in Christ. And that's where we can fully know God, love God, and worship him. We're called to look to him as we run because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. The preacher calls those running in the Christian life to look to Christ and to ask God to discipline us so that we can pursue righteousness as this race goes on. And verse 11 shows us uh, the need for discipline. It says, for the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Oh, there's Forrest. Is Stephanie having her baby? <laughs> All right, so I can just read this section real quick. So verse 12 through 17 of chapter 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Uh, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Okay, and as we step into the section, pay attention to how the preacher is going to encourage this run that we're on, and then to like a second part of this passage, he goes into like the dangers to watch out for as we're running. And so verses 12 through 13, the preacher here is showing them that they need to tighten up. Like the discipline needs to happen pretty soon. Like it's not just kind of wait on it tomorrow kind of thing. It needs to start today. And if we take a step back, there is no way with this anatomical description of the weak knees and the drooping hands that anyone could have a successful race. If anything, you'd probably look foolish. Um, yeah, none of us could run a local 5k or marathon like that. It would be uh, pretty, it would be a struggle, let's just say. 
Um, there's going to need to be a change in us spiritually that affects us physically if we're going to run this race in righteousness. And so if you have a feeble understanding of Jesus, you're going to have a feeble race in this life. The preacher is also alluding to another passage in Scripture, uh, specifically Isaiah 35.3. And in this context, Isaiah is talking about the promise of the coming kingdom, while the preacher in Hebrews is talking about how the kingdom has already come in Christ, but the great final blessing of Christ's return is still on the horizon. And again, to reiterate, he's calling them to be ready, ready for the race, be ready for war. And let me see. It's interesting how he says to make straight paths for your feet. Um, but for us in the room, what causes you to run towards Christ? What gives you encouragement uh, to continue running hard towards Christ? He makes our path. He makes our path. Okay. And that's encouraging. What else? Normally, it's because we want to give you laser to be better than we're going off those paths. Hmm. We keep our eye on him. We just build. We are doing what we're asked to do to be better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And make sure that we do that. That's the Lord. Oh, yeah. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. We see the example where it says here to look at Christ. As the example, mm-hmm. uh, he's the one who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, who suffered death on our behalf, a punishment far worse than anything we could ever experience if we're in him. And then God was faithful to him through the whole process to bring him to reward. And so as we, trusting that we were foreknown before the foundation of the earth, find ourselves currently in suffering, we can look forward with confidence to the fact that God will be faithful to us mm-hmm. and bring us through it to ultimate victory mm-hmm. because we are in Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, sure. This whole, this path, verse 2 verse, remind me of uh, um, oh God, Hogan Forest, mm. and um, the point at which Christian comes to the fork in the road. It's not really a fork, but he's got this path that's lined with rocks on his left side, and he sees that this one that looks like a shortcut. You know, it looks like it's it's going to be better. He jumps over the wall, strays away from the path, and he goes. And he ends up in like the dungeon of the giant. You know, the giant, you know, beats him, and they, you know, they make him very, um, and what's his name? He gets a big companion. Yeah, companion name. I think it's, I think it's faithful. Anyway, they're, they're in the dungeon, right? And, uh, he's trying to, hopefully, it's like, yeah, exactly. Nerds. <laughs> but they're they're actually literally living this out where their knees are weak and their hands are drooping and they have no and um, they find a way out. And one of the remarks that he says when he gets back to the path is something about how it's something about how um, it's much better to be well healed and on the path 
righteousness than it is a straight off trying to look for a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the Corey translation of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it brings to mind this whole thing. He, we put ourselves most of the time in those paths that make us weak, um, that, that give us big hands, make us tired because we're striving on more for what we think is right mm-hmm. instead of doing what God was saying, staying on the straight path righteousness. Yeah. I think with that too, we have to want to be on the straight path. And I think he kind of calls out um, us and he calls out the people in verse four of chapter 12. He says, in your struggle against sin, have you not yet resisted the point of shedding blood? Like, have you tried to fight that bad against sin? I haven't. <laughs> like, that's, And it uh, also kind of reminded me of like, like, do we want to be free? Do we want to um, be ha- like have our path straightened and know like I think Jared said until like Christ has to do it and he has to be the one to make those paths straight but also it reminded me of uh, the passage in John 5 and there's a man that couldn't walk for 38 years and Jesus like kind of kept his eye on him you could tell that the guy had been there for a while and then he asked him like do you want to be healed and it was kind of a, a question of like is this even something that you want because it doesn't seem like it um, and that's kind of, I mean, similar for us in our lameness, he calls us to get up and, but he's the one that does that entire work from changing our hearts, uh, to putting us back on the right path for this race. And I guess my other question would be, what does it look like to make straight paths for our feet? Is the board straight and spilled? ST. Yeah. Not the other one. No, not George. It's about like um, setting yourself up. Like we've been talking about with disciplining yourself, being disciplined, setting yourself up for that successful path. So if you're not in the Word, if you're not seeking the Lord, you're not making a straight path for yourself. If you're doing it all on your own, if you're trying to figure these things out without seeking wise counsel from others around you or from the Word of God, it's not going to be a straight path. You're going to be, Although, you know, certain timing the whole way. Hmm. Because, again, only God will make the path straight for you. So if you're not, I think that's the only way you can make a straight path for if you're seeking them to do it. Then incorporating that too. Sometimes we have the knowledge of something, but that doesn't mean like I know how to run a 5K, but I can't go run a 5K now. I, I, you know, like sometimes we have the knowledge, but we don't do the things we need the disciplines to do that. Mm-hmm. It's no different than the straight path. And God has that straight path for us, but if we're not doing the word, we're not doing the word, we're not talking to God in church, we're not serving, we're not becoming the hands and feet of Jesus, then that path is not going to be straight with her. But we know it's just, I mean, we can know it's a straight path. But it's that daily, hourly choice. Do I put search first or do I go wherever? Do I put, you know, the needs of people that I know first or do I <laughs> keep my hands and feet still? Like, I mean, you know, it's mm-hmm. all those choices that keep us on that straight path towards Him. And if you read the Psalms over and over and over, you see the meditation on the law of God or the word of God is what is giving life. I mean, Psalm 119 is 
is what is all about the words life-giving attributes mm-hmm. um, because it's from God. And so there's no amount of, like, you can memorize those words, but it's the meditation upon those words. It's the chewing up of those words and constantly thinking about them. We're going to touch on something similar. You keep going. You're not. That changes what you are actually doing and what you're actually thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been reading this book um, by Rich Cohen Roberts called Revival. Uh, and my second time through, but one thing that struck me was the second chapter is all about when when is revival needed. Hmm. And, and it gives 25 reasons uh, when we're, or 25 indicators of revival to be He says, one of the, one of them says, he says, when you can mouth religious songs and words without heart, mm-hmm. you you should be sure that you are backslidden. So he uses that backslidden older backsliding reference. But one of the things that I'm pointing out in all these things, that all the 25 of them, is you know, you should be grasping the love God's word to the point it brings you to song. The joy of your salvation should be coming out for not just in some days, mm-hmm. uh, but those things should be brought to your mind uh, to, and it should bring joy to your heart even in the midst of hard times. And as soon as you start just mouthing words and having no heart behind them, then you found yourself in a dark place that you need to get out of very quickly and pray hard for. Um, and so the meditation on the Word of God is what brings us to that realization. That's Long, long way of saying it. Is that Psalm 1 Christians don't look like chapter one way by the wind. Mm-hmm. We look like rooted trees by streams of life. And that's where we need to be. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to touch on what fuels us on this race, which is kind of what you are hinting at. Um, but now as we go on to verse 14, it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone. So we see in this verse that this pursuit of discipline is not a solo venture. There are other runners, all of you, other runners on this track. Uh, through the book of Hebrews, we have seen this type of language used before. He says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. It's chapter 3, verse 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. It's chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fa- fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's four eleven, And we desire each one of you to share the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. That's chapter 6, 11, and then the last one, chapter 10, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And so, what prevents church unity from happening? I've heard a couple things thrown around already that I wrote down, if no one had any answers. So, Pride, I wrote that down. What else? Lack of word being, I believe, would be one for sure. But lack, lack of word being related, some people said, or the word reverberating through the church. <laughs> and so that, I mean, like acting, living, minded. I think Jared said individualism at one point, trying to do it yourself. Just kind of what I was about to say is that the, the, 
this race is unlike any other race. If one of the goals of this race is to do everything in your power to make sure the other runners around you make it to the finish line. And it's when we resort to that individualism that, that we lose sight of that. And we stop building up our neighbors around us and we and it's about us. Mm -hmm. I think too. With the whole running analogy, I think when you have the individualism, you're not even looking at Christ. You're just like running with your head down, like left foot, right foot. And I think, yeah, like you said, you're not looking at the other people around you. You're not looking at the goal. You're not looking at anything. I think another thing, too, is the spirit. The spirit will all of you look at yourself. Can you explain there's, more? Sometimes there's a lack of desire to actually have peace. You, you just, whether it's you who, is, who just doesn't want to have peace, whether it's because of pride or laziness or hmm. the lack of the word being spoken, you know, or just being bored and want contention. Um, I want violence. But you know, some people just want to watch the way it burn as Alfred said. So, um, you, but I, I, I do think sometimes that you can do all that you can. You, know, you want to do everything you can do. Mm -hmm. The other side also has to pursue that piece as well. And sometimes they still don't do. Yeah, you got to play ball, right? Mm -hmm. You got to be willing to play ball, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, John 13, uh, 30, 34, and 35. So, the new commandment I give to you mm -hmm. that you love one another just as I have loved you. You mm -hmm. also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that if you are my disciples. If you have loved one another, and to kind of build on Rex's picture of helping everybody along, where we we see how we're loving one another by uh, we're seeing how much we're worshiping God by how much we're loving loving those around us. To build on that picture, think about it more like a like a lava flow, and it's just like you don't want to leave anyone behind. Like you're picking up everybody. Like it's it's coming. Everybody's got to keep moving forward. Like, you're not going to abandon anyone. Like, you get to run to a risk. Like, no, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to help you. Hmm. Well, when you come into a church, like, I see on Facebook, I go to small someone's like, I'm looking for a church, and I need a church with, when they lift all the things over. I'm like, oh, you're looking for a club of friends. So Versus, I want to go to a church so I can contribute the following thing. Bring us back to that despair. Oh. No. Uh, you this true. If your situation is bigger than your God, then that's going to cause you to look at your situation and be everything around you. God is in his proper place, and you see him, you're not here to see people around you. So when I say despair, I mean sometimes our situation in life and the things that happen in two of circumstances cause us to inherently look at ourselves and then more people around us. And so you have to put your eyes on Christ and now I'm sure you Hmm. Um, I remember thinking about that is knowing when you're in that. Because you, when you're in when you're spirit, you normally know that you're spirit. So that's kind of what Point. Yeah, I, I wrote down a couple other things too that I were thrown around in different ways, but like a poor understanding of what the church is here for. Um, 
it's not just something that you can use up, but that you contribute to and help the other runners. Um, selfishness with our time that causes, or that selfishness with our time that God could use in the life of a brother or sister that needs to see the body of Christ. And I think too, what you're talking about the despair made me think of a analogy I heard um, where it's like, if you have a penny and that penny represents an issue or a problem in your life, if it's on the table, it's just a penny. Um, but if you, and it's small and if you pick it up and you put it closer to your eyeball, it looks massive and you can't see now. So you can't run. If you have two pennies here, you're like, you're going to hit children, animals. You're going to step on something. Yeah. And you're going to, yeah, there goes your eye. So (laughs) So, yeah, the problems can look big. Um, and sometimes they are, but with Christ, with the help of the church, I think we can they're find peace. Good. They're not bigger than one of us. But you don't realize that when you're starting to get into despair, right? But if you have your friends and your, especially the church around you, they can help keep that in perspective and help you not go so far down that. Well, it's just drove them aside. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's being able to <coughs> come alongside and share those burdens, right? Uh-huh. And make sure that they're not being better than God, because God is going to take care of all of it. He just have to come and sometimes step aside and just say, "All right, Lord, you got to guide me." I don't know. I feel, <laughs> which we all, know. but when you let Him lead it and let Him take it, He'll bring you through it. Mm-hmm. Usually better than what you're going to be with it. There's a great verse that uh, John Piper points out in one of his books. I don't remember the reference or each of his books, but anyway. Uh, it links so many of these thoughts together. Mm-hmm. God says to the people, Who are you? Or in modern parlance, who do you think you are? Then you should fear men. And it sounds like such a contradiction. Who do you think you are means you're you're exalting yourself above what you should be. And then that you should fear man, which sounds like making yourself lower. And he says the problem then is pride tells us we're the biggest thing around. And then we look around and see a problem we can't handle. And because we're the biggest thing there is in our own eyes for handling problems, then we despair. <laughs> Reality check. And so, who are you? How big do you think you are? Did you fear man? Look at me, God, and compare your problem to me. Mm-hmm. And get your eyes on this. Yeah. Not to belabor the point because you're exact, all of you are nailing it, but I literally deviated from my lesson plans on Friday uh, for for CC and went into another class and brought my class with me and during Bible time and I said, hey, sit down. We're going to talk about Psalm 115 because it talks about, you know, their idols are silver and gold, the work of their the human hands. They have mouths that do not speak, they have eyes that do not see, they have ears that do not hear, noses. And then it goes all the way down to the end. It's like, you can build whatever you think is right. Mm -hmm. But if the heavens 
um, the, the Lord gives increase. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, and the earth is given has to give it to children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do they go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So the whole thing's about idolatry. <laughs> Look, you can set up your own idols, but it only leads to death. You can do it your own way, it only leads to death. Or you can do it the way the Lord does it, or the Lord says to do it, and you can live. And I, the whole point of what I was trying to bring you to is you are what you worship. Hmm. So this, this idea of what are the things that hinder unity? If it's made by human hands, if it's conceived by human mind, mm -hmm. if it is not found in the Word of God, it will hinder your unity and peace with the body believers. So bring it all back together after we talk about it. This idea of unity is only wrought by the Spirit of God through His Word. Um, it is not wrought by any other means. So, um, sorry, I've been like reading a lot lately. <laughs> That's okay. It's been, hitting, it's been hitting me hard. It's been hitting me hard because, like, um, it's been a difficult, it's been a difficult year and a half. So, and the more and more I read, the more and more I'm like, oh man, I wish I had, you know, remembered this or brought this. Maybe it would have changed my situation, and then I could go back and say, oh wait, it's not under my own will nor by my own hands. It's by God's hands that we are here, this moment, in this place, and so yeah. Praise the name. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And he knows what the race has for us. Yeah. Um, but moving on, uh, I think what could be at the heart of this verse too is that those that are strong among us must hold up and encourage those that have the dangling hands and the wobbling knees. Um, we must pray for those that are struggling and offer acts of mercy, and we have to run this race together. We see other scriptures that um, in Ephesians 4, 3 says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Romans 14, 19, uh, pursue what makes for peace. And also Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then we also see in the Old Testament, turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Psalm 34, verse 14. And then lastly, uh, words of Christ, pretty big stuff. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's Matthew 5, 9. And then uh, one of the commentaries I was reading for this, uh, the guy says about this verse, those who pursue peace will to forgive and will to forget and will to be kind and will to be thoughtful and will to help others. And then the last one is really challenging. He says, and will to pray for their enemies. And so it's not just, I mean, everyone's running a race, not just Christians, but the unbelievers are running a race too. They're going all over the place into the dead ends and to cliffs. And um, even for them, we're, we're, we're called to have peace with them as well and to help get them on track um, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, but yeah, we're called to strive for peace with everyone. And then we kind of have the second part of verse 14 that says, um, and strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's interesting that he links a peacemaker attitude with progression towards holiness. Why do you think that he links peace and holiness like this? 
Well, you can't be angry and bitter and then think you're holy. So, I mean, hmm. they kind of contradict each other. So you need to have that peaceable spirit and that the holiness of God shines through. <laughs> Otherwise, they're not going to see God. Hmm. Nobody will see that. God won't even see God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? <laughs> um, well, striving for peace. Well, peace is a fruit of the spirit, so mm-hmm. we should be striving. Obviously, we want to have fruit of the spirit, but as we strive for peace, we'll start to bear more like fruit as a Christian. And as we bear more fruit as a Christian, I think the world sees that, even if they don't really understand what it is. Like, as we're being sanctified, we'll be made more holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, in this life, we'll never be, like, perfectly holy, because that's only for God. <laughs> but um, that second part of the verse says that, like, no one will see the Lord without that holiness, basically. So we're, we're being encouraged by this to, like, to strive for peace for the sake of other people getting to know God. Now, is according to this verse, is holiness optional? Why is that? What's the what happens if you don't have that holiness? Do not see the Lord. And Erica touched on it too. Like, it's not a perfection. Um, on the other commentary, I used Thomas Schreiner says that holiness should not be understood in terms of sinlessness, but describes those who continue to seek and pursue the Lord. The reward is described in personal terms. Those who seek the Lord will experience eternal life. And uh, the Apostle John, throughout his letters, touches on uh, how we're to live. And he says in 1 John 3, 3 through 10, and this is a long one, so bear with me. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. The one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then another beatitude to think about is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We need to pursue a holy direction, not a holy perfection. And that's not my own words. I can't take credit for that. It's a wise bald man. Those those verses came at it from the perspective of observing the person. Mm-hmm. Romans eight looks at it from the perspective of looking at God, as he says, "Whom he justified, mm-hmm. these he also sanctified." Mm-hmm. In other words, he's not going to justify you if it is not his devoted intent. To make you holy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we all we go right along. One of the one of the things we can lose 
really quickly in the peace process is perspective. We we you know we go from this big God, we profess this big God and very small self to flipping that on its head very quickly. That where God is small and people are big, that culture book, which mm-hmm. is awesome. You know, if you if you put yourself in the place of peacemaker as the one going to make peace and as the one who is going to fix it, you're actually going to find yourself on the opposite side of this. Where it can more strife, more wrath, more of this. But if you rely on the one who is peaceful, God Himself, and we point each other back with the gospel, um, you you have this I, this real peace that is pursuing holiness, which will get you there, which will get all of us there. Um, I guess my the point being the we have to be careful that not to pursue peace on our own terms. Um, we have to pursue peace as God would have us pursue peace. Mm-hmm. And um, but bearing one another's burdens, that's going to one another or we sending against one another. That's not letting any wall of hostility stand between me and other members of the body. The eye, the, the hand, the foot, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're just hearing, I'm hearing first Corinthians 14 all of this. And and first Corinthians 12, all of all of the place because it, it is so unity driven. Um you need to hear the book, but mm-hmm. our entire we're all a representation of Christ. We're in this if you're a Christian, you're a representation of Christ to the world. Um, and we are not individually, but a part of the church. You are a, a representation of Christ. Mm-hmm. So can't can't be a church if you're not getting bottom. But is holiness really the right word there? Because we are only there because God is holy and we make us holy. Sanctification, which is a process, be a little That's what they have planning, sanctification. But mm-hmm. well, if you don't have Christ's holiness, then you won't have any. Right? If you're not set apart for Christ. So holy, holy and sanctified are very close in their their word being so I mean I don't know if I'm split here. It's the pursuit. Pursuit of that holiness. Mm-hmm. From the beginning of the verse is pursuit peace with all men. Some of you, y'all say, well, okay, mine says sanctification too. But it's still the pursuit of the sanctification or the pursuit of the holiness. But sanctifying is bringing you to holiness. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's almost redundant to say pursue sanctification. Actually, in my, in my mind, it makes more sense to say pursue holiness. Yeah. Sanctification is, sanctification is like the road to holiness. It's the process and the. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go. Oh, um, I was just going to say that we are being, according to the New Testament, we are being restored to the image of the one who made us. Mm-hmm. That's holy. It's not just, I mean, sanctification is the process of increasing in holiness. It's the same as, uh, well, I think it's 1 Corinthians, uh, but when it's talking about the veil that Moses wore, it says, but we, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, yes, it's dim, the glory of the Lord, are transformed into that same image. 
from one degree of glory to the next. It is seven degrees of glory. Thank you. Um, so it's as we are focusing on Christ, once again, it returns to the same thought of mm -hmm. the passage. Yeah. As we focus on Christ, we become more and more like him. And holiness, not achieved holiness, but the pursuit of holiness and step-by-step step increases in it are the result of that focus. Mm -hmm. And to take what you said to your students at CC and what you just said too, like you almost become like what you're running towards. And if you're running towards weak-kneed, feeble-handed things, yeah, it's gonna. That's gonna get you there. Yeah, yeah. What's your question? Uh, the question is: Is sanctification and holiness? Uh, what is it? Is it single? Like, is it just me doing it, or is it me and the spirit, or is it just the spirit? So, is it monergistic, which means that is it only of God, mm -hmm. yeah, or is it synergistic, which is me and God? Well, doesn't relate to God? Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. What does Paul say? <laughs> <laughs> Paul says, it's got working through me. Right? Because through me, you got to see this. So people want to say that it's only, only God, mm -hmm. but it's actually God and man, and not cooperation in the sense that we were both pulling the sled, mm -hmm. but God using me as a vessel. Or and working through me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yes. So you can't pursue holiness without God. It's impossible. So teaching moral things to an immoral and un unholy person is only going to change their behavior. Mm. Sometimes. <laughs> so think about your children, those who are not in Christ yet. Uh, do they have the ability to actually obey you? see something similar with Esau who gets mentioned in here you see that he ends up like regretting what he did but it wasn't for the right reasons so yeah he was just mad that his brother was getting something that he wasn't getting but yeah so all good things let's continue pushing on so we got verse 15 now he says see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it, many become defiled. Uh, now we've come to that transition that I told you about where the preacher is going to show us what dangers to look out for on our run. And with verse 15, how do we fail to obtain the grace of God? How do we fail to obtain the grace of God? Other than just becoming apostate and rejecting God. Huh? Well, my husband is like, you don't believe, then you don't get it, but then you, sorry, Mm-hmm. It was a couple couple of things like 
taking our eyes off the problems. Like we were talking about, doing the opposite of what we're used to, where is, we've said it over and over again, fighting against unbelief. It's the main thing. This verse is actually drawing on Deuteronomy 29. Yes. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Mm -hmm. Unbelief mm -hmm. is the root from which all sorts, it doesn't mean us becoming bitter against somebody else. It's, it's talking about the fruit that is going to be born out of that sin mm -hmm. of unbelief. So we need to be aware, we need to be watchful for unbelief springing up in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, yeah, we were later going to go to that. I'm glad you touched on it now because that's, yeah, that root of bitterness comes from what, like, what you said, the main story of Hebrews, like the main point of it is to hold on to the promises of God. We just had chapter 11 that talked about all the people that held on to the promise of God and were blessed and, like, got to see God, got to, like, Moses gets to kind of see him. Or was it Moses or Abraham? Oh. Um, but, yeah, I think when we do have that root of bitterness, there's a couple other things that um, we kind of, like, push ourselves away from the grace of God, I think is another way of asking the question. Like, how do we push ourselves away from the grace of God? And two of the things I wrote down was through unconfessed sin. So literally just, like, I don't want your grace. I don't like need it. That's that back to that pridefulness kind of thing. Um, and then um, like a self-imposed famine of God's word. So restricting yourself from his word that gives us life, um, causing us to kind of go into a like spiritual anorexia. And there's no way to run a race like that either. Um, but what else? Is there anything else you guys thought of? Like what? what is... How do we restrict ourselves away from the grace of God? Well, like I said earlier, the just pride individualism, focusing on self. I mean, the more honor you do that, the further and further and further you are choosing to go against God, you go away from Him. So, and as a society, that's all overly easy God happening you know, all the time. So we have to be careful not to do that as often or at all. And recognize it when we do start kind of going that direction, but we have a reason. Because we're not immune to it, but we have to recognize if we're starting to get too prideful, if we're starting to become more individual, I can do it. I, 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 I can do better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and then not asking, not reaching out, not anything. So, um, uh, yeah, that's true. And um, back to that root of bitterness. I can't talk. The root of bitterness. This uh, kind of talks of like an apostatizing seed that over time takes growth into something far from God. Uh, and we'll see back to verse 15. He says that this calls for us to be vigilant or <laughs> can't talk vigilant. vigilant as the preacher says to see to it. Yeah, I haven't had any. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain this grace of God. And um, one of the commentaries I read, he saying that the see to it language is really similar to another letter of Paul's where he's talking about the um, like deacons. And he starts to compare to like, this is all of our responsibility. It's not just the deacon's responsibility to be on the lookout for roots of bitterness. It's the call of everyone in the church. And um, yeah, anything else there? Maybe that's what you already asked, but I'm sure. I mean, what do you guys think it means? Well, I think for us as believers, it's the thought that we're supposed to lift each other up. We're supposed to, like, my, my translation says, seeing to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That makes me think that, like, there's something that you can be doing for your brother and your sister to encourage them, to help them realize, like Horace was saying, if you're if you see that your brother is in despair, come alongside them, point out the despair and say, hey brother, remember what Christ has done for you. And I'm despair this small. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that we have a responsibility. Corey Dunbar was saying about the, the law that that reminds me of I think it's Jude where you snatch the, your, your brother or sister from the fire. You know, you're supposed to do these things. You're supposed to be going back to what Paul said, being vigilant, being diligent, not just the elders and whatnot should be doing that. You as a brother and Christ should be doing that for each other as well. So our job is to see to it, not only that our own faith is being strengthened, but that we're also helping to strengthen others and keep them on that straight path. Help them to do mm-hmm. I don't think the grace of God in this case is necessarily salvation. So it's not necessarily salvation but it could be. It could be because if we're not switching by another love and word of Christ, before prior to this, then we become in the word. And that may just be more evidence of the grace in our life. Uh, the grace of God in our lives is not there. So we want to move everybody toward the grace of God right? so that no one may overlook the overarching warning in Hebrews is hey, don't just approach this truth and then turn back to the, the ways of Judaism. Mm-hmm. To see this, embrace it, hold it true, hold it as truth, and move forward with this. So, part of that being, you know, don't, don't just. Uh, Get close to the, the grace that is right here. This is this is everything. Mm-hmm. That links it back to what he said in chapter four, verse one. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. 
Yeah. Do you need me to like boogie? Okay. Wrap it up. Okay. We got to touch on Esau. He sucks. All right. So uh, to wrap it up, I mean, we have the next couple of verses that talks that uh, Esau and how afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And so Esau's presented as an example of one who despised the promise of God in contrast to the people of faith we read about in chapter 11. Um, we have people like Moses um, is nothing like Esau in Hebrews eleven twenty six. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Where he was looking to the reward. Moses saw who was at the end of the race, who to strive after, while Esau traded the promise of God for a bowl of lentil stew. We see this in our own lives as we sling those weights back on our shoulders and try to run the race that way. Uh, we go back to feeding off of those sins that cling so closely. This is where we fall back to that spiral of spiritual anorexia. Um, and instead of reminding ourselves of the gospel and Christ's, Christ's triumph over sin and ultimately the end goal of the race, which would be to be reunited with God. Uh, and just to kind of closing statement, the readers of this should not let the comforts of the world entice them so that they cho they choose them instead of Christ. They should not turn away from the Lord so that they are defiled and unworthy to enter his presence. They must strengthen themselves to pursue the Lord and holiness so that they will see God and rejoice in him forever. That's it. I just looked up what a birthright was in the I think there's a couple layers to it. There's one being like to be like redemptive history, I believe it's like him having a part in that of like the story of the promise seed. And then eventually that would be Jesus at the end goal. And I think he was going to be used in that lineage, but he did not. So, and then there's land and all this other stuff that you get, but yeah, we can talk about it later. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We could just pray and dip out. Lord, uh, thank you for discussion today. Pray that you will use it uh, to change our hearts and to change our actions. Pray that we look to you as we run, that you are our fuel, that you will show us where we need to uh, get back on track towards you. And we just pray that you do this by your Holy Spirit to sanctify us and that we pursue holiness. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.